Welcome to American Dissident Voices. I'm Kevin Alfred Strom. This week, we present part two of George Lincoln Rockwell's In Hoc Signo Vinces, now in audio form for the first time by our own Vanessa Neubauer. Commander George Lincoln Rockwell was almost single-handedly responsible for the reassessment by patriots of National Socialism in America after World War II, and his work led directly to that of William Luther Pierce, the founder of the National Alliance. These are the words of George Lincoln Rockwell, read by Vanessa Neubauer. Listen. To survive, the white man will have to reconquer the earth, once conquered and civilized at the cost of so much blood by his ancestors. Under the banners of international Jewry, the colored masses are threatening to return civilization to savagery. Under the swastika banner of Adolf Hitler, White men around the world will master the planet to save civilization. The Jewish war against civilization has actually been a worldwide gigantic revolution, in the course of which they got millions of us to murder each other, shouting, Democracy, Gott mit uns, free the slaves, liberty, equality, fraternity. And now they are preparing for the final bloodbath during which we will shout capitalism and communism, respectively as the two teams of white men slaughter each other with Jew-financed H-bombs. In the course of these fratricidal and suicidal wars, the Jews have not been afraid to sacrifice thousands of their brethren in their devilish cause, as they did in the last monstrous slaughter in the 1940s. The Jews realize what we must realize, that they are playing for the highest stakes in the knowledge of mankind, mastery of the whole earth, and they do not shrink from the inescapable conclusions of strategy and tactics dictated by knowledge of such stakes. If we are to survive then, we too must have the wit and the strength of mind to face up to the deadly facts of the situation and act ruthlessly, rapidly, and effectively. The Jews have almost won the final step in their 4,000-year revolution. Open world power. They now have total secret power to manipulate and control all world activities, and lack only a little more brainwashing and breaking of the will of the masses to make their world domination an acknowledged and formal power. They have fought and won their way to this incredible power by unsurpassed determination and iron will over 40 centuries, and only a miracle can prevent the final victory of such fanatical warriors, tragically and viciously wrong as such a victory would be for humanity. Even the atheist Jews— which is most of them, have an inexplicable belief in the ancient Jewish prophecies that when, quote, the law comes forth from the hills of Zion, end quote, and Jerusalem, it will be the millennium for the Jews and they will own and rule the earth. They are in Jerusalem now and lack only a few blocks of it for total possession. They are experiencing a worldwide frenzy as they can already sense the total victory we are about to give them and they are even now preparing their sacrificial orgy of victory in Tel Aviv. In the face of this unspeakable threat, that the whole world and all of us will fall to the tyranny of a gang of criminal paranoiacs, the narrow chauvinism, conservatism, 
and regionalism of most right-wing leaders is the utmost stupidity. With the masters of mongrels, the Jews, leading millions of savages in a worldwide attack against the white elite bearers of civilization, and with the end only moments away in terms of history, only the most short-sighted leaders can continue to keep our children divided and helpless into teams of Americans, Dixiecrats, Catholics, Germans, Yankees, atheists, Dutchmen, conservatives, Irishmen, etc. Down through the whole pitiful, heartbreaking list. The Jew may be all of these things, but first he is a Jew. It is the first task of him who would save civilization, which requires saving the white man, to make white men supremely and totally conscious of race above all other allegiances. Our people can be Democrats or Germans or Catholics or Englishmen if they want to and if it suits their purposes, but first they must be white men. Otherwise, the Jew will keep us divided and helpless and unconscious of our racial unity and strength while they fanatically fight as Jews, no matter where they are until it is all over. The world of TV, rockets, and jet transportation has become too small to permit any group of white men anywhere to enjoy the suicidal luxury of fighting each other on behalf of the Jew ever again, no matter what the reason which may be advanced in the propaganda. We simply cannot afford to fight each other when we are under such overwhelming and deadly attack by such endless hordes led by such a fanatical and devilish enemy as the Marxist-Zionist Jew. The reason that the white man has been losing for so long in the first place is that he has failed or refused to see the enormity and the pressing urgency of his problem. He has permitted himself to be distracted into a million little squabbles over trifles, while his race has been driven almost to extinction. Like the first man in the analogy, we haven't understood the path, the nature of the obstacles, and, worst of all, we haven't even realized the goal we must win. Or die. That goal is, and must be, mastery of the earth by the white man, since civilization depends solely on such white mastery. Any lesser goal is utterly worthless, just as it would be worthless for a man scheduled to hang to take vitamins and attain perfect health. And such a fantastically difficult and cosmic goal as world mastery cannot be won by luck, sneaking, half-measures, prayers, hopes, fine speeches, pamphlets, or sporadic violence. What we must aim at and achieve is a world counter-revolution against the Jewish Marxist-Zionist revolution. And revolutions are never, never, never the result of spontaneous and fortuitous uprisings, but always the product of ruthless scientific planning and fighting based on the immutable laws of great social upheavals. Behind the pitchforks and the barricades, there is always the story of the candlelit conspiracies by the planners. Otherwise, the revolution would be over in a trice. Not only have our handful of leaders so far failed to realize the unheard-of proportions of the goal at which we must aim, but they have singularly failed to face up to their terrifying responsibilities in planning. Time after time, would-be leaders have arisen and led us in pitiful efforts to nip the end of the tiger's tail, only to waste our substance and blood and heroism in a fruitless struggle which always ends in being crushed by a single smashing blow from the paw of the beast. The Jewish world revolution can only be broken and beaten by a counter-world revolution. 
Any revolution must be planned with care and precision in accordance with the iron laws governing human conduct in the mass. A world revolution in the face of the international and staggering power of Jewry must be planned and executed with a brilliance and ruthlessness unmatched in the history of the world. The most fundamental rule of such a cataclysmic social upheaval as a revolution is the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Perhaps it sounds cruel and brutal, but it is nevertheless true that the greater the proportion of human upheaval aimed at, the greater quantity of blood and torrents of tears which must be poured out in vast quantities to gain the goal. The kind of unprecedented colossal movement which can alone reverse the suicidal trend of the Western world and usher in even another thousand years of survival for the white man can never be launched, let alone won, in any safe, painless, or easy way. Even ordinary sufferings and martyrdom are too minuscule for the kind of movement we must set aflame to survive. Everything about the current deadly battle for world mastery is and must be Olympian, and we cannot shrink from Olympian agonies if we are to hope to win. Mighty movements always require millions of people to immolate themselves in a passion of self-sacrificing devotion to the cause. And these enormous masses of people can never be moved to fling themselves into the flames of revolution with shouts of favorable trade balance or states' rights, etc. Only the fundamental drives from deep inside the human psyche can lift the slow-moving masses from their ignorant apathy to the wild pitch of emotion, which carries them entirely away in the tidal wave of revolution. Nothing so affects these fundamental emotions of the masses as heroism, and only the utmost heroism can now save the white man from his lethargy and paralyzing fear of the Jews. And there is no symbol other than the swastika, and no name other than Adolf Hitler, which is so beautifully calculated to produce the persecution and consequent heroism which alone can unite and inflame the white man into an irresistible wave of anti-Jewish Marxist-Zionist revolution. Until the advent of Adolf Hitler, the white men of the world had nothing, absolutely nothing, in the way of a common cause, common heroes, common martyrs, sacred shrines, names, and symbols. But now, after millions of young German white men heroically flung their precious lives away in the first real fight in history for the white elite, we finally have the blood-soaked shrines, symbols, and martyrs which are the most elementary stuff of revolution. Millions of equally precious young white men on the opposing side, fighting for the devilish communist Zionist Jews, will have lost their lives for absolutely nothing unless we accept this stupendous blood sacrifice, and use it to ensure that never again will precious white blood be spilled fighting for Jews and Negroes. Nevertheless, and unbelievably, the lucky heirs of all this self-sacrifice and heroism, the recipients of these precious blood-stained banners and sacred names, reject their heritage as impractical. We can never win with open adherence to National Socialism and the swastika, these gentlemen explain feebly. The Jews have taught people to hate them too much, they add. If we use the swastika and praise Hitler too openly, they will throw us in prison or kill us. And did they not throw all makers of revolutions, including the Jew makers of the Red Revolution, in jail?
and even kill some of them? Are we National Socialists to be more fearful and cowardly than a gang of Jews? The very persecution and bloodshed such irresolute characters seek to avoid is the sine qua non of our victory. These are not empty words. I have personally proved their truth here in America, the power center of world Jewry, by being beaten, by going to jail and the insane asylum, losing my dear family, and living like an animal. Twelve days from today, as I write this, I face jail again. These things are unpleasant and even heartbreaking. But they must be. You've been listening to Part 2 of Vanessa Neubauer's reading of George Lincoln Rockwell's In Hoc Signo Vinces. Part 3, the concluding part of this short book, which deals to a great extent with Rockwell's personal and organizational response to the political situation of the 1960s, will be placed online soon. So be sure and look for it. We thank The New Order online at theneworder.org for keeping Rockwell's works and legacy alive. I'll see you next week, right here at American Dissident Voices.